Let's turn our hearts towards the Lord in prayer for a moment. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the ability to raise our voices in unison to proclaim the excellencies of who you are, uh, to proclaim your uh, great work uh, that had its beginnings uh, in uh, before the beginning of time. Uh, as we think about uh, your, uh, you know, um, salvation uh, that you brought through your son, Jesus Christ, that we can look back to that event uh, some 2,000 years ago and realize the importance of, of who we are uh, to know our identity uh, when we put our faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we open up your word this morning, we ask that you would guide our minds uh, that you would help us to engage our minds so that we may take in, that we may uh, chew upon uh, your words and your truth today. Uh, the fact that your son is risen, that he is seated at the right hand even right now. Uh, and Lord, we thank you and we give uh, you all the praise, the honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you realize it or not, but it is estimated that there are 1.3 million earthquakes around the globe each year. Now, we don't feel them here in Connecticut as much. Um, I, I have noticed uh, a few of them showing up on the patch every uh, once in a while of an earthquake. Or did you feel the earthquake? Well, if you could guess which state has the most seismic activity, you would be correct in saying the state of Alaska. Uh, because Alaska is the most uh, seismically active state in the United States of America. In 2018, they reported over 54,000 earthquakes. Um, we were there for 17 years, and we felt quite a few of those earthquakes, some that uh, seemed like an eternity, even though it was only 15 or 20 seconds of shaking. But with so many earthquakes, they can become commonplace, uh, and even the ones that are of lesser magnitude can even uh, be unnoticeable uh, because you're just not paying attention to it. But the largest earthquake recorded in Alaska was a magnitude 9.2 that occurred on March 27, 1964 uh, in Prince William Sound. And it just so happens that was on Good Friday that that actually took place. But the earthquake was of such great magnitude that it ended up pulling uh, masses of water out of harbors, uh, leaving boats on dry land because of the amount that would actually come back and then form a tsunami. And it destroyed uh, a lot uh, in the wake of that 9.2 magnitude earthquake. But the energy released was equivalent to approximately 4 trillion pounds of explosives. Or to give you an idea of that magnitude, it would be the equivalent of 120,000 little boy atomic bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima. So we're not talking about some small earthquake uh, when we consider that. But I want to tell you about another earthquake, one that is of greater magnitude, of greater influence, of greater impact than even that 9.2 uh, that happened on March 27, 1964. And so I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, because that's where our main uh, text for the next few moments is going to come from. Uh, 
And I'd like to read verses 1 to 8 as I talk to you about the great earthquake. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. See, there was a dawn some 2,000 years ago that was unlike all the others before it as well as all the others after it. Because it says there in verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake. And may I propose to you that there is no earthly seismograph that could have measured the pure energy that was released on that morning. See, this great earthquake shook beyond all the constructs of time, past all the kingdoms that had arisen and fallen, past all the wars that had been won or lost, going back to the very Garden of Eden where the fall took place. Beyond the finite, even into the infinite, into eternity itself. You may ask the question, well, what makes this earthquake so special? Because there's so many earthquakes around the globe every year. Well, something miraculous happened on that morning. Something that has not been repeated since. Something that had not happened prior to that point. Something that was decreed before the very foundation of the world. Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, whose sinful men crucified, was raised from the dead by the one and only omnipotent God of all. Jesus is risen. That is the truth that came from heaven and that would shake the world to its very foundation. And that's why it was a great earthquake. And we sung this morning uh, many songs that you know, spoke to that. Uh, we sung Christ arose and by the cross and in Christ alone. And we'll finish out our service uh, by singing because he lives. And the thing is, we sing songs not just to carry a tune, not just to put forth words. We sing songs because there's doctrinal truth in them. They speak to the truth of what the Word has revealed to us so that we don't forget, so that we remember. And so what I'd like to do for the remaining moments we have together this morning is we just sung In Christ Alone. And I'd like to walk you through that song because there's a lot of wonderful biblical truths that actually proclaim the Easter message. The song begins by saying, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, 
firm through the fiercest drought or storm. Jesus is my hope. And he has given me a hope that only God can give. A hope that is found only in him. A hope that was realized on that Easter morning some 2,000 years ago. That Jesus Christ is not dead. That he is not like all the other religious prophets or religions of the world that worship uh, either an individual or the teachings of an individual that is now dead. See, our Savior is alive. And that's why I have hope in him. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone. Everything that I am as an individual has its essence and its being in Jesus Christ, the one who gave me hope when I was hopeless. He is this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. So how can I have perspective when I look at the world in which I live and find it constantly denying the reality of God? How can I find a solace when I find things coming into my life that I don't expect? Um, those things that I would never you know, want to be part of anyone's life, let alone let my own. Well, see, listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 62, 5 to 7. It says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. How can someone write and pen words with such great meaning and great depth and great conviction because God came into his life and changed it. He went from one being without hope to having his hope being from God alone so that he would realize that God is his rock, his fortress, his salvation. That's why he is not shaken. And Jesus is that cornerstone, the one who is chosen and precious, as it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. And that verse ends by saying, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So in other words, when you step out in faith, when you give up control, when you repent and come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, you're not going to be put to shame. You are not going to find yourself coming back wanting you're not going to find out that, well, it's just like every other uh, instance in the world. It, it, it gives for a moment, but then it's nothing after that. Because God isn't that way. Because our God is the one who is our salvation. And when we trust in him and in him alone, it does not matter what is happening around us. He is our hope, and we will not be shaken. The song goes on to say, What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the height of love. This is not a love like the world says love is. It's not a factuation. It's not lust. 
This is love coming from the one who is holy and pure and true and right. And when he loves, he loves with such height and depth and breadth and width that I believe our finite minds don't really fully comprehend. And honestly, I don't think that I even fully comprehend it. But you know, when I stand in the presence of my Savior, and when I see his hands and his feet, I think I'll begin to understand what true love is. The heights at which God the Father would go to secure forgiveness through his Son, Jesus Christ. So that what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings cease. See, Psalm 46.10 says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The problem with man is that he continues to strive in his own power and in his own way giving forth good intentions, trying to be as good as he possibly can, not realizing that he needs to cease striving. Because there is nothing that you can do in and of yourself, in and of your own power, to do what is necessary for forgiveness of sin. Because if there were, then Jesus did not need to come. Jesus did not need to die. Jesus did not need to be risen from the dead. See, the fact is, is that the resurrection gives proof to and gives support for the fact that without the love of Christ and being obedient to the point of death on a cross, that we cannot truly know what peace is. Because we will still have fears, we will still strive, as as it were, to try and earn approval from God. When what I should say is Jesus is my all in all. The next verse says, In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. These next few verses actually speak to how can this be? How can someone have Jesus as their hope? How can someone say that Jesus is my all in all? Well, it goes back to the fact that Jesus had to come, that he had to take on human flesh, not as part of God, not less than God, but 100% God. He is God the Son who took on flesh, becoming God the man. It tells us in John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus came for the purpose of showing us and living out the truth before us. To silence the lies with the truth of the word of God. Words which are true yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. Because they're eternal See, in Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. It tells us in John chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, that the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Speaking of Jesus, he was in the world and the world was made through him. 
yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And see, that's really a commentary on mankind. Because Jesus did come. He is the creator of all. Because he was there in the beginning. In the beginning, God. Jesus is God. He took on flesh so that he could show us, even though man would scorn and reject him. They would despise him. That when they beat him to uh, within literally an inch of his life, so that he was not recognizable, it showed the depth of that love that the previous verse spoke to, the heights of that love. See, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus had to take on human flesh so that he could be the great high priest to be that final sacrifice. The next verse says, Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ. I live. This verse here has a, a lot in it. And it may seem strange to think that in the death of someone else, we can live. You know, how is that possible? You know, why would Jesus Christ dying cause me to live? Well, it says, till on that cross, Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. See, the thing is, is that we are all sinners before a holy God. We have all done at least one thing. That causes us to be impure. Even if it's just something as simple as a wrong thought. Is enough to show us as guilty before God. And because we are guilty. That means that we are enemies of God. That we have rejected him as the ruler of all. And that the only way that things can be made right. And for us to not be under the wrath of God. To be under the judgment of God is by someone else taking our place. We needed a substitute. We needed someone to redeem us out of those set of circumstances. And that's exactly why Jesus, the sinless son of God, came. Because he is the only one worthy. Because till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. So Jesus' death on the cross accomplished exactly what it meant to do. And that was to provide a way so that sins could be forgiven. So that you, through faith and trust in Christ alone, can have forgiveness and be reconciled to God. To experience that peace so that you no longer have fear in the presence of holiness. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 9 to 11. Since therefore we have been, or now have been justified by his blood... Justified means you've been declared righteous. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, though who, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, Jesus was able to accomplish what we could never do. 
Because once the source is tainted, there's nothing we can do to untaint it. There's no filter. There's no additive. The only thing that can be done is Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, paying the consequences for our sin. I belong on that cross. Just like the two thieves, one on either side of Jesus, belonged on their crosses because they had transgressed God's law. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. See, it's not the end of the story that Jesus hung on the cross, that he was taken down, that he was prepared for burial, that he was put into a tomb, and that was it. Because Jesus Christ, yes, is the Son of Man. He had a physical body, and that physical body was devoid of physical life. But see, Jesus is also the Son of God. And God the Father raised him from the dead. That though his body lay in the ground, light of the world by darkness slain. So Jesus came for the purpose of communicating the truth, which is the light, even though the darkness rejected him and crucified him. And the darkness is all of sinful mankind. Because I, too, crucified my Savior. Because he took my sin upon himself. On that cross. But then bursting forth, I love those words, bursting forth because the grave could not hold Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave, he rose again. Hallelujah. In John 19, verses 40 through 42, gives testimony the fact that so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes and with spices and as at the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was closed at hand, they laid Jesus there. But in Matthew 28, 5 and 6, it says, But an angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. That is true. That is a reality. Yes, he was buried, but he is not here. For he has risen, and he said, Come see the place where he lay. See, Christ being raised from the dead gives testimony that God the Father accepted his sacrifice, that the wrath of God in the previous verse was satisfied. Because if, if Jesus had not accomplished what he came to do, there's no, there's no need to raise him from the dead. He'd be just like any other earthly man who was a good man, who did good things, who caused people to be better people, and just ended up being like the rest of mankind, rotting in a grave. But see, that's not Jesus, the Son of God. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. 
See, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, came for the purpose of offering himself, taking my sin and my punishment on that cross. And he was buried, and he is alive. And now I have the opportunity through faith and trust in him and him alone, in Christ alone, to be redeemed. Galatians 3, 3, 13 and 14 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Well, what is the curse of the law? Well, for the wages of sin is death. And we're talking about a physical death, but also a spiritual death because mankind died that day in the garden. And apart from spiritual life that only Jesus Christ can do, only Christ can redeem those who are under the curse of the law because he became that curse for us. He took our place and he became victorious over death. It says, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. See, the thing is, you can't buy your way into heaven. You could be the richest person on earth. Those riches mean nothing in the presence of holiness. They mean nothing to the God who is the creator of everything. You cannot give God something he does not already own. You can only be brought into the presence of God through the precious blood of Christ. That like a lamb without blemish or spot. See, Jesus is the only one who is the sinless son of God. None of us are sinless. Some of us think we are. But trust me, you're not. And no matter what your good intentions are, no matter how hard you try to be good, you will always fall short of the glory of God. We can only be redeemed. We can only overcome that spiritual death through the precious blood of Christ. And what does that do? Two things. And as the song closes, it says, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. See, what faith and trust in Jesus Christ does is it removes all shame. It removes everything that could be a potential condemnation of who we are. Am I still a sinner? Yes, I am. But I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why there's no guilt in life and no fear in death. Because Jesus Christ overcame death. He was raised from the grave. To give testimony to the fact that God the Father accepted his sacrifice. But also, too, to give us the ability to know that there is no need to be afraid to die. Because fear has to do with judgment. And every person on this planet, whether they acknowledge it or not, whether they see the truth or they suppress it, 
is afraid to die because they know, because the law of God is written on the hearts of all people, that they have to stand before God. They may live their entire lives as if they don't, but do not minimize the scripture that says that, uh, that Jesus has been given a name above all names, that at his name every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And that is because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. He did not sin. He fulfilled the law in every jot and tittle. Every action, every thought, every emotion. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do. See, you can't save yourself. Because if he could, Jesus didn't need to die. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... Well, what is the likeness of sinful flesh? He took on human flesh. He was born like we are born, except he didn't have a sin nature. He was still the sinless son of God. The spirit saw to that. And this is in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, apart from God, there is no way you can save yourself spiritually because you're spiritually dead. There's no life there. Only God can infuse life into that body so that you might reach the requirement of the law. And that's that you be perfect as God is perfect. That's why we need a savior. That's why we need someone to redeem us out of our circumstances because we cannot save ourselves and the last thing is eternal security because it says no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ. I'll stand. Those are the words of assurance for everyone who have trusted Christ to know that in Christ, no power of hell. So in other words, Satan himself when you have been bought and paid for by the precious blood of Christ, has no claim on you. He cannot change what God has done. It says no scheme of man. So in other words, you can't even mess it up because it's spiritually attained. It's in Christ, through the Spirit, by the grace and love of God the Father. Listen to what it says in John 10, 27 and following. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one, no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I am, I and the Father are one. No one can snatch you out of God's hand, not even yourself. When you've been saved, when you've been bought, 
when you have been bought and paid for in full, when you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you belong to God. You have been reconciled to God. And you know what true peace is. You know what love is for the very first time in your life. And so all of this, that in Christ alone my hope is found, gives us the testimony that we have hope in Christ, that Jesus is our all in all, that Jesus had to come and take on human flesh, that he took my sin and my punishment, that he died, he was buried, and that he is alive. That he is able and only able to redeem. And when he does, he frees us from any condemnation or shame, giving us the assurance that no one can pluck them out of his hand. See, the power of the resurrection has changed my life. I stand before you today as a son of God, one who has been redeemed from one who was a sinner deserving death to a believer saved by the grace of God, with a living hope of life eternal with God after I die. So that's why there's no fear in death. So what will you do with the resurrected Jesus today? Because that is the ultimate question. Because Easter is not about bunny rabbits and eggs. Easter is about the empty tomb. Does your faith rest in Christ alone today? I hope it does. Because if it doesn't, today you need to trust in Christ alone. To stop trusting in your abilities, stop trusting in, your, in what you see as your good nature, your good intentions, and leave them and trust in Christ alone. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for these truths today. We thank you for the truth that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is risen from the dead. We're thankful that we don't serve a dead Savior, because that can't possibly be. How can someone dead save? Jesus is alive. He accomplished what he came to do, because he is the only one who can do it as the sinless Son of God. And Lord, I pray for each one here this morning that if they do not know your Son, Jesus Christ, if they don't know Christ alone for their salvation, that today they would trust him and him alone to stop striving in their own strength, but to trust in Christ and him alone. I pray for each believer here today that does know Jesus Christ, that as we take a look at the world in which we live There is a lot of uh, um, unrest and turmoil as we look at sinful man living out the desires of the sinful flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, uh, and the lust of the flesh. Uh, And Lord, we know that that is in direct rebellion against you. And Lord, I pray that you would just encourage every believer here today that they would have a renewed sense of the peace that they have because they've been reconciled with you for eternity that they have a hope that transcends time itself, a hope that will bring us home. May they begin to understand the height, the depth, and the breadth of your love. 
And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.